0: Hi, I'm Fiona
1: and I'm Cam and you're listening to the Over the Fence podcast by Farmers for Climate Action. This podcast is an opportunity to look over the fence and see what people and communities across rural and regional Australia are doing in the face
2: of climate change. By sharing experience and skills, we can help create even stronger
1: communities and regions. We're going to be talking with Matt Charles-Jones and Matt Grogan from Totally Renewable Yakandanda, a community group in northeast Victoria, working to power their town with 100% renewable energy. Totally Renewable Yak and work with their community on Australia's first microgrid, and after the recent summer bushfires, are exploring how renewable energy can help build a stronger electricity grid. Have a listen, and don't forget to subscribe to the Over the Fence podcast. If you know any communities or people that we should talk to for this podcast, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter at Farming Forever, or get in touch via email at info at for action.org.au. Anyway, here's our interview with the Matts. So thank you, Matt and Matt Charles-Jones, for joining us today. MCJ, can you tell us a bit about Totally Renewable Yak and Dander and how it started?
2: Yeah, Cam, uh, Matt here, Matt Charles-Jones. I'm the chairperson of Totally Renewable Yak and, and myself and Matt Grogan, the other person on the line there. We both were uh, involved in Totally Renewable Yakandanda since we started in 2014 and it it was a result really of a piece of work that had been done by Indigo Shire Council and they had examined what renewable energy resources were available. So Indigo Shire ran a series of of forums, one of which occurred in in Totally, in, in Yakandanda and out of that Forum, uh, Totally Renewable Yakandanda was formed.
1: And what was your goal? And how have you guys gone about achieving that?
2: In 2014, got together with with a a clear ambition to improve the uptake of renewable energy in Yakandanda. And over a period of time, we've become much more sophisticated in what it is that's possible and what can be done. So really, we're now centering, and this emerged very early on, of a goal of being 100% renewable by the year 2022, which is getting very close. And we're doing that by helping people use less power, so being more efficient. We're helping them add renewable energy resources, primarily rooftop solar, where that's possible, and we are also adding battery storage where that makes sense for individuals and also working on a series of microgrids across yak and danda and binding all of that together with the newly emerged community energy provider indigo power which no doubt we'll talk about
1: as we go so matt how far along the way to 100% renewable has Yakandanda
0: come and what's still left to do to get to that mark or that milestone? About 60% of houses in Yakandanda have a solar array on the roof, a, a household solar PV installation. And and on a, on a sunny day like it is today in the northeast, most um, of those houses would really be pushing towards a 100% renewable day in isolation. However, there's a whole... Whole chunk of houses that don't. We know that to get to 100% gross renewable, or to be able to say, yeah, we're using 100% renewable at any, at any given moment during during the day, we need a solar and battery installation of around about uh, three more megawatts to, which would really augment the existing renewable supply and storage and round us out to be able to say pretty much at any stage of the year we we're, we're 100% renewable. And the good news, I guess, is that we now know quite a bit about how to, how, to, how to pull something like that off.
1: So the way I see it, there's the technology component and renewable energy and new energy technologies are making this possible. But there's also a community component to this as well. MCJ, did you want to talk about some of the community work that's gone into this? And is it something that other communities around the country could also do locally?
2: Yeah, well, clearly, in order for us to get to 100% and 100% supply renewable electricity, we need to have a vast majority of people supporting what it is we're doing. And we've never set out with the belief or understanding that everybody agrees with what it is that Totally Renewable Yakundanda has offered as a goal. But we have believed in the value, the broader value of renewables. And, and really, principally, that is around the ability to save money and it's a very compelling story and we're certainly seeing a whole diversity of both households, community buildings, commercial buildings and and others making terrific savings with renewable energy and they start the minute someone installs. But we're also factoring in what happens when a whole town starts saving money individually and what value that brings to a, a, a strengthening local economy dimension, and what resilience both economically and electrically that builds into a town. And, and so we've put a, a real uh, highlight on the importance of relationships and not trying to exclude people or make people wrong, but help them understand the benefits that, that they can appreciate and enjoy. And so we've worked really hard with, with individuals, but we've also worked very hard with Negoshire Council and uh, the various utilities involved and, and businesses, which is not to say we get it right all of the time, but, but we're really focusing on the relationship rather than telling people what it is they should be doing.
1: In terms of community renewable energy, Matt Grogan, did you want to talk a little bit about community renewables in Scotland and what you learnt there? And community renewables as an approach to tackling climate change.
0: Community renewables, in a lot of ways, and this gets at, at the Scotland experience as well. It's a mindset, I think. And and you know, when we talk about this is a this is a podcast for farmers. Such an important quality in being a farmer is, is that not only having resourcefulness and and a bit of wherewithal, but just having the sort of drive and 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 gumption and doggedness to to persist in in really uncertain events like you know sowing the crop when you don't know what the weather's going to do or, or getting your animals right when you don't know what the market's going to do all these factors that are out of our control but there's a a willingness to to follow a process and and get a target and i guess that's what we're on about in in the northeast in victoria of we don't exactly know how we're, we're going to get there but we know that we're going to get to a 100 percent renewable future so that's sort of where the, the whole mandate for our activity. And, and as you said, there's examples around the world of, of countries that are, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ahead of us um, on their journey towards a community-driven 100% renewable electricity network. And, and one that I was lucky enough a couple of years to go and visit was, was Scotland, and, and particularly in the Highlands and Islands region of Scotland, which is pretty remote, remote and uneconomic for, for larger companies to supply power because of the, the nature of the landscape um, to supply power to those regions. There's been a real mindset of of upskilling within communities, of unlocking capital within communities, and then having this situation where renewable energy generation facilities, whether that be a, a pumped hydro project or a wind project or you know investing in the actual electricity grid infrastructure where they become the cash cow for communities so this this company that or you know community development trust or whatever the entity might be that individuals are allowed or or, uh, encouraged to invest in um, and then the whole community draws the return from and those those projects have actually um, funded this this amazing transformation in the Highlands and Islands of Scotland, where there was this huge leak of young people from the remote areas to the to the cities. They've turned that around, but it shows in, in a lot of ways, and it's not too long of a bow to draw, it shows what community energy can do. When you've got this essential service that's a cornerstone of communities and a, and a cornerstone of local economies, People putting their heads together and, and putting their resources together, and having a, a vision and then working towards it.
1: So Matt Grogan,
0: totally renewable yak and dander. If you were to try and
1: condense the reason why, was the reason like was it to tackle climate change, was it to support regional communities and make you know uh, economic economic support and development in regional communities, or or was it a mixture of all of them? Why, like, what were you trying to solve when you set up
0: try? Yeah, that's a really good question, Cam. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's always really good to um, reflect on that. So the, the simple answer to that to that question is because I wanted to do something about climate change and I knew that compared to other contributors to, to climate change, such as transport, you know, such as agriculture that, that the electricity sector was achievable because the technology exists and other parts of the world had had pulled off pretty much a transition to to one hundred percent renewable. So I was feeling pretty disempowered by what was happening at a at a federal level in, in relation to sort of leadership and, and heading in the right direction. And 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 so a group of us, as Matt said before, Matt Charles Jones said before, a group of us just thought, well, what if we just start with our own town? Just start there and and let's see what happens. That's the sort of, I guess, condensed and simple answer. But there's not only as we've gone on, has there been a whole lot more richness created, but I think it's also important to say that up to that point, you don't just wake up one morning and say, I want to do something about climate change. And for me, that's about the fact that as I, as i said before I, I care a lot about rural australia but i also care about the biodiversity of rural australia the landscape of rural australia the the, the people of rural australia the the amenity and 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 the functioning of, of the the ecosystem and and, and and particularly the sort of the integration between um you know agriculture and, and and land management from an agricultural perspective but but then you know from a from a maybe more of a, a biodiversity perspective as well and, and and the overlap between those two and the ecosystems that I care a lot about such as you know alpine ecosystems and coastal ecosystems and you know even, even sort of the dry sclerophyll forest that, that we're lucky enough to have a lot of around yak and danda they will be impacted right on the front line and and we'll see that and and the sort of history's already played out in a lot of ways that these really diverse, you know, ecosystems and, and landscapes that we have after fire after fire will will become much much more homogenous. And I think that homogenous in the landscape and and homogenous that that impacts people and that, that impacts the people of rural Australia if they don't have that you know, or aren't able to draw from, you know, nature in to make them vibrant. Then the communities will will and, and have already um, through drought, uh, extended drought, or whatever it might be, start to feel the the effects of that. So what? So then, so so that's sort of how you get up to the you know why do something about it, and then okay, let's do something about it, and, and let's start with electricity, which is the biggest um, contributor of greenhouse gas. But then once you start doing something about it, you, you're unlocking all these things that circle right back around, and and that it turns out that transitioning towards 100% renewable can actually be not just a solution to the climate change problem and, and the sort of the reason that we're doing that but it can generate its own cycle of, of strength um, and, and and build capacity and and build you know income and, and, and capability in, into these um, rural communities so this there's sort of two ends of the rainbow in a lot of ways and and, and as we as we continue on this journey, we're learning more and more about the the other dimensions, not just the renewable energy dimension.
1: So interesting, actually. That takes me, Matt Charles-Jones or MCJ, back to you. What sort of characteristics do communities need in order to go down the path of microgrids that Yak and Danda did? Does there need to be a certain amount of population density, transmission infrastructure? Um, can you talk us through a bit about... About what's needed to go down that path? We get asked that
2: question a lot, Cam. And interestingly, and I think Matt has just touched on it, and a spirit, I think, alive and well in agriculture is an intention and an expectation of doggedness. And so there have been a series of people within Totally Renewable Yakandanda and across the township of Yakandanda who have been very dogged in the pursuit of an ambitious plan. When when Totally Renewable Yak formed the goal of 100%, we attended a Community Energy Congress that occurred at the Old Parliament building in Canberra, and that was sort of midway through 2014. And we saw a whole diversity of community energy groups across Australia doing some quite remarkable things that perhaps belied their individual experience, But we know we've got a stack of people across australia with enormous expertise engineers network companies um, people who are skilled at working with others the idea and the really clear and well articulated ambition is crucial and then to follow up the thing that comes from community energy groups is not necessarily expertise although that helps it's actually just relationships and doggedness at pursuing an idea that we can bring people toward, not necessarily one that we impose over the top of people. And so, totally renewable yak and Dandas focused really on the the values I spoke about before of uh, saving money and um, reducing the reliance on the grid. But climate change obviously is a really important factor in our activity, but it's one that has. Uh, the ability to be able to divide people and we didn't want to divide people we wanted to bring them together so we we focused on those things that we felt could bring people together
1: and in terms of the yakindanda microgrid which was it the first functioning microgrid in australia i'll have to you'll have to clarify that one for me but what how, how did you go about setting that up and can you talk a little bit about what a microgrid is and what it does
2: we're working on the principle of a microgrid being a series of interconnected users with the ability to generate their own electricity, potentially store their own electricity and share their electricity amongst a defined group of users with some sort of existing uh, electricity network and the capacity to manage that in a smart way. So some sort of smart energy control system. And the, the point of a microgrid is how can you localise the supply of electricity and ultimately you can have what's called an islanded microgrid, which means it stays connected to the the main electricity grid, but it's also capable of operating on its own. And that's a really important theme which maybe we can explore around Uh, what happens to an electricity supply during an emergency event or even just a a major outage. But we uh, launched our first microgrid in Yakandanda with a subsidiary of our network operator. The network operator is AusNet Services. And we very early on started conversing with the network operator and their subsidiary, which is now called Mondo, to understand how we could localize our energy supply. So we had a really clear boundary around the concept of uh, 100%. So in partnership with them, we launched a a, uh, series of uh, very well thought through high quality solar systems. And in one defined area, we included batteries and control systems. Uh, We offered that system to fourteen houses. That group of fourteen houses then became a, a uh, unified group of properties working together to cooperate on their electricity and they uh, continue to operate in that way. And that was probably uh, middle of 2017 they became active. And since then we now have two other microgrids in operation. And ultimately, our plan is to have a whole series of microgrids right across the town, forming a mini grid and the, and the bedrock of our uh, transition to 100%.
1: Northeast Victoria was hit pretty hard by bushfires over the summer, and that included some towns being cut off from the electricity grid for a number of weeks. It, what sort of role do microgrids and renewable energy play in building resiliency in these regional communities, Matt Grogan, I'll, I'll direct that one to you.
0: At the moment, electricity in in the eastern seaboard in Australia is is pretty much connected and sort of interdependent on itself. But there is a technology and and technology being developed and and available to to be able to. Island towns, island towns at a at a town scale. So if a, if a town's electricity supply is being cut off, then a town grid could keep operating. But more importantly, failing that, or or some, if something were to happen to that that town scale mini grid, right down to a building level. So we talk about sort of it, it being very complex and a hard thing to pull off. But the very first steps are quite straightforward ones, relatively. So imagine every every town that's vulnerable to bushfires in Australia having its fire station, its hospital, its police station, and its community centre or or gathering place, all able to operate separate from the grid. So you know there's a there's a catastrophe. People are trying to take refuge in the town, and these towns, these buildings within the town, um, can rely on the the 100% renewable, but also working and available electricity in, in that event. It's the first step, and and it can provide a certain amount of electricity for the you know for a period. But then we can work to even strengthen that, th- those essential services, strengthen those up to that town scale island ability that I was talking about before. So to answer your question, Cam, there's probably two parts to the answer. The first is let's start and let's start with essential services buildings in in towns that are vulnerable um in the event of a bushfire which you know we're learning more and more is is most of rural and regional australia but then let's start with 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 the confidence and the courage that as we start um on that journey um the future will unfold out in front of us so the technology will become more mature more reliable, where we can get to this stage or imagine this future where communities can be islanded from a potentially a remote location and so that just because um, electricity goes down in, in one area, um, resilience still exists uh, in other areas.
1: MCJ, do you have anything else to add to that? Totally Renewable Yak has received a, a really
2: big influx after summer of interest and inquiry about microgrids and what value they might be able to draw to their own towns, and really, uh, it's it, we don't have to solve all of the problems right off the bat, and we can focus on individual buildings that are in, important in the disaster context, and then we can build out from there. But but there is a, a massive disruption underway in the Australian energy landscape, and indeed the whole world, and that disruption is the shift from heavy reliance on fossil fuels, which uh, our coal-fired power stations are really heading toward end of life. So we have to replace them with something. Let's do it in a way that grabs hold of the opportunity of renewables. Some of that will be at scale, utility scale. Some of it will be heavily integrated into individual communities and bespoke and really match the needs and aspirations of the individual communities. And and the, the value of doing that is enormous.
1: you want to talk a bit about the Yakindanda Community Battery then?
2: Yeah, well, one of the things that uh, Totally Renewable Yak has done in combination with Mondo is develop a five-stage roadmap. And essentially, it helped us map out what does the transition look like from um, almost entirely... Uh, reliance on coal to one where we become entirely reliant on renewable energy. And that five-stage roadmap essentially was stage one as business as usual. Stage two is we add really high-quality solar systems with smart energy control systems. Stage three is the addition of battery storage or other types of storage. Four is the addition of a community energy retail platform. And then the fifth is localised community-scale generation and storage. And so totally renewable Yakandanda and Indigo Power are cooperating on the in- installation of 67 kilowatts of rooftop solar with uh, 136 kilowatt hours of battery. And that battery will charge during day with the solar system and then release power back into the local community and be brokered via Indigo Power. And to the best of our knowledge, it's one of Australia's first community-owned batteries and is a really important platform to say, well, how how do small communities start to store daytime power for use overnight? so that we can reduce the reliance that we're drawing power from elsewhere, and especially where that elsewhere is from fossil fuels. And it's a, a key plank in our transition to
1: 100%. Just for people who don't understand, you know, the the capacity of the battery and the solar panels, how many households or how much power will this uh, battery and solar project provide for Yakandanda?
2: It's... it's a- A difficult question to answer because it depends on how efficient the households are. But loosely speaking, you would say that across a year, that will supply enough power uh, for about 30 homes through the night. But uh, And it's a really clear intention of Totally Renewable Yakindanda is how can we also help people use less power? Clearly, if you use less power, then you don't have to generate and store as much. And in particular, how can we make sure we're using power during the day and reducing the power use overnight when you would otherwise have to be storing it and using it from a battery or drawing it from elsewhere?
1: Matt Grogan, um, Matt Charles-Jones then was talking about Indigo Power, which is the local community energy company that's been set up in part to help Yakandanda reach its 100% renewable goal. Are you able to talk a little bit about what Indigo Power is, what makes an energy company a community energy company, and how Indigo Power is going to help try reach its hundred or to reach its hundred percent goal?
0: Indigo Power is a public unlisted company, so community-owned. No individual can own more than 15% of the shares um, in Indigo Power. And it's got this purpose. And the purpose is not just to make money for its shareholders. Its purpose is to create a society that's powered by 100% renewable energy in a way that supports and empowers communities. And one of the, I guess, key parts built into its DNA in, in carrying out that purpose is that it's also a social enterprise. So it's a, um, within the constitution of the company, 50% of the profits go to shareholders. But the other fifty percent go towards advancing our purpose, Indigo Power's purpose. So that's sort of a, a little bit about what it is, and 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 we would say um, that's what sets it apart from other electricity companies: that real community ownership, that and that social enterprise element. But why why is it important to um, create a renewable community or, or, you know, drawing it back to Yakandanda, 100% renewable Yakandanda. The answer to that question is that the the community energy company or the the electricity provider is like the glue that ties together all the other good activities that's happening and and takes those activities from a a discrete level, so a household level or a um, community scale level like the Yakandanda battery and enables um, all those discrete projects or discrete activities to be pooled and for the electricity generated in one to be used by other business or or you know house that's got a tenant in it that doesn't have solar panels on the roof so in the current regulatory framework the only way to enable that glue to stick or for that that pooling of resources to happen is through electricity retail so through the Household and business scale, buying and selling of electricity from a, buying it from a wholesaler and then selling it to a household level. We've just just launched, you know, with, within this last few months, launched out into the wide and sometimes um, cutthroat world of, of electricity provision into houses. But that's sort of the, the very first step on our journey as Indigo Power. What we want to do eventually, once we build a, a strong customer base, is start to provide the wraparound service service that you could really associate with what our purpose is and that that's that journey towards 100 percent renewable in a way that supports and empowers communities so if there's going to be a renewable energy asset um, in a town and, and let's face it the transition towards renewable and electricity and away from fossil fuels is, is probably inevitable now that that's going to happen that could, and, and it's not going to happen in you know, Turak or South Yarra or Manly, it's going to happen in rural Australia, and the, and the, the paddocks of solar panels and the, the you know the large scale batteries are going to happen in rural and regional Australia. Indigo Power exists, um, and hopefully there's a whole lot of other companies that start up like Indigo Power, so that the community can take this opportunity um, and say, yeah, we we want to see this transition towards a renewable future, but we want to be in the driver's seat. When this transition happens, we don't want to sort of turn around in ten years' time and say, "Gee, we missed out on the spoils there." Um, how come all the uh, all, all our, you know, all, all our rural amenity and assets are just going to see profits go to some oligarchs in 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 Russia or some some um, people in France? No, nothing against the Russians or the French French, but I guess I'm trying to, you know, really really make the point that there's an opportunity here, and if if just like in Scotland, if if we want to. And, and, and if we can get organised enough and, and sort of be bold enough in a lot of ways, we can we can take that opportunity and not only see this transition towards 100% renewable, but actually revitalise and rejuvenate rural Australia at the same time.
1: That's a great point, Matt. About the energy transition is going to be built out in regional Australia and ensuring that community benefit is going to that the that the communities. Um, around these projects see benefit from that is going to be really important. Matt Charles-Jones, do you see community energy as the only way to achieve that community benefit or do you think there are other ways to make sure that the communities that are within touching distance of these projects and impacted by these projects see the benefit?
2: Yeah, well, certainly there's some really standout examples across Australia and around the world of communities benefiting greatly out of larger scale projects and the the flagship one in Australia is Hepburn Wind which uh, some 10 years ago installed two wind turbines and now that uh, provides enough power for the the township of Castlemaine but there is now a a range of other communities, Goulburn in New South Wales, Denmark in Western Australia, There, there is quite a few around Australia are really starting to reach to much bigger numbers. Obviously, the complexity of doing those larger scale developments is greater. But with support from consultancies and governments, the the opportunities for communities are fantastic. And at the same time, it'd be fair to say that renewable energy developers, large scale renew, renewable energy developers are very much starting to understand or well on the way to understanding how important it is to have the support of a local community. And in the very first instance, it means that the planning process and the, the organising a site becomes much easier. But equally, there is a symbiosis there that can occur where a, a local community can get ongoing benefit. And whether that by, be by small ownership or, or partial ownerships or by uh, ongoing contributions to be administered locally by way of cash funds, and whether that is money that gets managed by a committee or goes to a foundation, or in some way provides long-term benefit to local communities and local councils, that it's terrific to see those systems becoming much more sophisticated. And, And that's happening all the time
1: a lot of our farmers and our community are interested in community renewable energy and renewable energy solutions what are the learnings from Yackandandah and northeast victoria that that you would like to share and and how can people start because it can seem such like such an intimidating journey to start on
2: the the thing that we Uh, did very early on, is we worked quite hard to map both what we knew and the relationships we already had. And it's a really good starting point because they're they're known and certain. And the the question then becomes, how can you exercise those two things in a way that starts to catapult you forward? So very simply, what we did is we put some uh, circles around Relationships we already had with friends and neighbours and uh, we also thought about what the opportunities were, what, what are the big energy users that have consistent load and let's start uh, forming relationships with them. So that would be my really clear answer, start with where you are, with the relationships that you have and, and what you know and start exercising those and very quickly new opportunities will start to emerge so we, we, very early on, uh, started publishing our intention, both internally within Yak and, Danda and more broadly, because we were saying, well, we, we don't actually know how we're going to get to 100%, but we have an intention and we know there is enormous expertise within organisations and within our community that we want to support to start going forward. But really, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, Cam, we are uncertain whether we're going to get to 100% uh, or not by 2022. But what we do know is that we've worked really hard and we've had some great outcomes. And, and we know that as a result of that, there's a whole bunch of communities across northeast Victoria who've established their own goals and their own targets and their own activities. And so the success for us isn't just about whether we get to 100%. It's actually about our, our collective journey uh, toward a, a more reliable energy supply that also responds to the, the reality of the cl- climate change.
1: <laughs> the journey, not the destination, Matt tells jones um, This might be a good place to leave it. I just would like to open it up to the floor, to both of you if you have any thoughts on this, that at a national level, climate politics is still so fractious and i'm just wondering if community renewable energy and even talking about climate change at a community level do you find it's less less fractious and people are more willing to listen when it's when the conversations are had at a community level
0: i would say uh the answer to that is yes um i think we'd we'd you know matt charles jones said before that we've been working on this since 2014 um if we were coming up against serious resistance um that whole way we we would be worn out you know by now and we wouldn't still be doing it because we've sort of been doing it mostly in an unpaid capacity so to me that says that at a community level when when you start to think about those other dimensions that i was and, and talk about those other dimensions that i was talking about before a- and can also encourage people that it's okay to enter something without, without knowing 100% of the answers. Then all of a sudden you're having a conversation about something that's going to do something about climate change. And it's it's less and less common now that you'll find someone someone that outwardly doesn't want to do anything about climate change. It's going to do something about climate change, but it's also going to strengthen and, and build communities. And that that includes you know communities in in metropolitan areas as well the capacity is absolutely there for for metro and and regional and rural so i'd say community driven and and not not only selling not only selling the benefits but actually being able to point to successful projects and the resilience that they've brought about soon soon very much shows that the um, fractious nature of the political debate is, is in, in my personal opinion, quite out of step with the, with the real world. And it'll be really interesting to see post-pandemic political world where, you know, credit where credit's due, there's been a, a fair bit of um, collaboration and, and, and just, you know, reasonable behaviour coming out of our politicians in, in the circumstance, in the really trying circumstances hopefully that can extend into into other areas of policy that desperately need that unification and, and leadership
2: it's just probably one thought that I had cam is that uh, what I think we're witnessing in Yakandanda and and we're seeing it in other communities who are heading down a, a renewable energy path is the the richness of the the tapestry that's created when an individual uh, modifies their energy system, that, that, that's not something they're reliant on somebody from somewhere distant so much for, that they've got a physical solar panel on their roof that's saving their, their power bills. It's usual for us to see cuts of 60% in energy bills. And so my point is how rich the, the personal narrative and, and the stories are in what it is we're doing. It's not just uh, one big homogenous thing. There's these massive, tiny but crucial uh, stories and changes underway, and 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 you, I could name fifty types of changes that have occurred in buildings across Yak, and whether it's a solar and battery system at the CFA, CFA or a solar and battery system at the public hall, or somebody uh, has added another battery because they loved it so much. So there's just so many beautiful uh, and empowering stories of people making change. And for me, that's the most exciting bit. And when you draw that together, it's very powerful.
1: That was great. What a great place to
2: end
0: it.